On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. We were the band who brought down the 80s. By 1992, the highly sexualized pop metal party had, almost in the blink of an eye, vanished. Fans and record companies had turned their attention to Seattle, and a less frivolous aesthetic that owed more to the Sex Pistols than to Kiss. When we released the record Cherry Pie, um, you know, in in the office of Columbia in New York, over the president's desk, Diana's desk, his secretary's desk, actually, there was a huge poster of Cherry Pie. You know, and it, that was a big ego boost or stroke to the band to know that you're a priority at such a, a huge label and uh and then when we were going to release the next record which was called doggy dog i did the exact same trip to new york <clears throat> to talk with donnie and over his secretary's desk was a huge poster again only this time it was alice in chains dirt and i was like hmm i think we slipped down the priority ladder here a little bit and that was that was one of the, the very first signs in an effort to alienate all the listeners of this fine podcast, or at least those of them that are no longer wearing Doc Martin boots or flannel shirts, welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast, where Hollywood and I are doing lots of drugs and generally feeling pretty bad about the world today. So turn that frown upside down and get ready to crank that shit up. Yeah, you're about to alienate a host, too. So <laughs> you're about to alienate me, goddamn grunge. Wait a minute now. This was an agreed upon subject. <laughs> Don't pile all of this on my shoulders for the listeners. I did not come up with this idea. No, actually, it was my idea because I knew sooner or later 
we would have to do some sort of grunge episode. And I'm like, what is the easiest, least painful way? Although that's not very grunge because grunge, you have to, you know, administer as much pain as possible. I was trying to take the path of least resistance after a few live stream things we had done in the past, some ideas were floating around in my head and I'm like, oh, this might be a good topic. Yeah, so I think it's safe to say before everybody goes and runs and turns off their podcast episode or fast forwards to the next episode, let's just say that we've found a little bit of common ground here. And we're going to get into all of that and what this episode is all about. And yes, there's going to be some grunge definitely involved in this episode, but don't freak out on us quite yet. Let's get into this first. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, so the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight comes to us from a Scandinavian band called Oz. Oz goes way back. I had this record called Fire in the Brain back in the 80s at some point in time, which is when I first heard of them. They've now got eight albums out. They're just a straight-ahead, old-school, classic heavy metal band, basically, studs and all. From their latest album, Forced Commandments, this is Oz with the leadoff track called Going Down. Thank you. 
Yeah, so I've never heard of these guys. I go to Spotify, go look them up. Love the album cover. That that part's really cool, but and Vince has got a voice. There is actually no doubt. This song, I think, clocks in a little bit over three minutes. The first 45 seconds you didn't need. Like, I don't need the mood set. Just get to it. Just get to it. Did Hollywood say just get to it? I'm sure his wife is very happy to hear stuff like that. I actually like the song. It was just like, I was sitting there waiting, going, come on, dude. It's a three-minute song with a 45-second intro. That's ridiculous. I picked this out, and I was like, there's no way Hollywood's going to like this band. Just didn't sound like it was going to be up your alley, but they've been around forever. It's been two and a half years that's passed since they released their last record. They've reunited and been together now for a few years. They released a record a few years back called Transition State. But if you just like old school headbanging studs type heavy metal, Oz is your band. Uh, I like it at certain times. It's not something that I would listen to all the time, but I think this album, Forced Commandments, is really good. It's a very solid record. If you like that song, you're probably going to dig the rest of the record because it's along that same lines. So check out Oz, Forced Commandments. Go pick it up and become an Oz fan. That's it. Let's get back into this. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so it's time to get into tonight's discussion. I told you earlier, don't turn off those podcasts quite yet. Uh, There is going to be grunge involved in this episode, but Sonny and I I think we came up with kind of a take on on this whole grunge thing, right? Yeah, you know, I figured we'd share our thoughts about it and then, uh, you know, kind of play some songs that we liked out of grunge. And I'll tell you honestly, you have a lot more patience for it than I do because it's just depressing music to me. Like the (laughs) melodies normally drag to my ear. There's normally not any upbeat songs. There's no big choruses. I mean, this. Somehow we went from fun, sex, drugs, and rock and roll to drugs, depression, and it sucks to be on the planet. I'm not exactly sure what happened over those three, four years, but somehow it got really depressing. And it was interesting because the guitar riff and the crunch evolved just slightly. It was all still there, just not very shreddy metal. But the vocal got whiny and the melodies got really bad. So... For most of the grunge, I feel that way. The only three bands that I can tolerate on the norm are still Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, so I was never a huge grunge fan coming into the 90s. That's not to say that I didn't embrace it, because I did. There were quite a few bands at the time that I liked, and some records that I liked as well. But it was definitely a downer. I think one of the things that I did enjoy about grunge was basically some of the raw aggression that was in grunge music. I did like some of that. And I really thought that there were some very good melodies in certain places, even though the vocals that surrounded those melodies and the musicianship that surrounded those melodies was not great. I think that the musicianship as a whole went really, really down 
coming out of the 80s because hard rock and metal in the 80s, there were some really, really talented players, guitar players, drummers, singers. There were some very talented people. When we got into the grunge, grunge was sort of rooted in punk music. Part of punk rock music is that you didn't need to really be a great musician to play punk, right? That was the whole thing. Throwing shade on all punk music. Nice job, Stephen. Alienate our punk rock listeners, too. Uh, That's why garage bands popped up all over the place. But I think that the way that you and I are going to be approaching this episode is that we've both come up with some bands and some songs that we think would have sort of either bridged that gap or fit nicely into some of the music that was going on in the 80s, correct? Yeah, and I also got to tell you, grunge is just as hard to label as hair metal. Like there's people out there, is Tesla hair metal, is all of Whitesnake hair metal. Some people think Priest is hair metal. I think if you ask people, is Soundgarden grunge, you'd probably get the majority say yes. If you ask somebody if Smashing Pumpkins is grunge, I think you would get some arguments. If you ask somebody, is Alice in Chains grunge, you probably get a lot of people agree. If you say Bush is grunge, people would probably start arguing. So like I looked it up on Wiki, you know, give me grunge acts. And there was all kinds of punk and alt rock acts on there that I'm like, that's not grunge. That's not how I label grunge. So it's got just as many, I guess, labels as hair metal does. But yeah, these are songs that, I mean, you know, if I'm going to pick a grunge song, it's going to have an 80s flair to it. Otherwise I wasn't going to like it. Um, but I distinctly remember I had MTV on the, in the background. I'm either making food or making myself a drink or something. And man in the box comes on MTV and I'm hearing the, the guitar riff and I'm like, what is that? And I remember liking it immediately and going, uh, that ain't, I want action tonight. Uh, shit is about to change. Yeah. Well, I think some people confuse grunge and label grunge. If it came out of Seattle, it was grunge. And then they also put it to the point to where it couldn't come from anywhere else to be grunge. It had to come from Seattle, be grunge. That wasn't the case. They didn't own grunge. The way that I looked at grunge or the way that I sort of labeled grunge was any music in the 90s that had maybe a little bit of detuning and was rooted in some sort of a punk vibe or an alternative vibe. To me, that was grunge. Some of the Soundgarden stuff was just flat out Black Sabbath riffs. I mean, that heavy kind of sludgy type stuff, but that didn't encompass all of grunge. I think that you had differences, just like you mentioned with Alice in Chains and all kinds of different things. So uh, was it grunge? Was it not grunge? It all depends on whether it came out in that time period and what the music sounded like. Where they were from really makes no difference to me. So I'm going to share a few with you. And then actually one of my favorite songs of all time ended up on my list. So uh, I'll share that uh, after we hear some of yours. But Some of the stuff that uh, I listened to that I thought would bridge the 80s well. First one is a song called Thousand Smiling Knuckles 
by Skinyard. And the album was the same name, Thousand Smiling Knuckles, came out in August of 91, Seattle band. This band was around from like 85 to 93. That's the other thing is people think grunge started like in 1991 or 1992. Some of these bands, like you said, probably started out people thinking they're punk and kind of grew into like this distorted weird guitar tone thing. But the Skinyard band never really got much of a mainstream audience. They only ended up releasing six albums. Uh, Ben McMillan, vocalist, Jack and Dino, guitar player, Daniel House bass, never heard of him again. Matt Cameron was the drummer, though, and obviously later on he was in some bigger grunge bands we'll talk about later. The guitar riff in this song is awesome. I thought for a while it was Ozzy singing it because it is very Black Sabbath. It's got that doomy kind of feel, but it's sped up just a little, so it's got that bridge between Black Sabbath and when Ozzy went solo, and I can totally hear uh, Zach doing the guitar solo and putting some pinch harmonics in. So it's a pretty cool song. You should check it out. Thousand Smiling Knuckles by Skinyard.
Yeah, I'll admit that was a band that I had never heard of ever. I mean, never have I had I heard that song. Have I heard that band? Didn't know anything about them. So when I saw that listed on there, I went out and checked it out. And yeah, you're 100% accurate with that description. Okay, next one, Bush. So like I said, some people would say they're grunge. Some people would say they're not. Um, I picked a song off the first album, 16 Stone, called Little Things. And, you know, Bush is a UK band. This album had Everything Zen, Come Down, Glycerin, Machine Head. So it had some hits. It's just Little Things wasn't one of them. And honestly, I, Gavin Rossdale's voice is a bit annoying to me, so I can only handle it a little bit at a time. And it's definitely a little lighter grunge. It's not as doomy. And this vocal melody on Little Things is almost a little peppy. I mean, it's got a great pre-chorus, got a catchy chorus. You know, if you got rid of the fuzzy production and put a little polish on it, Don Dawkins could have sang this song. I mean, it could have been a Dawkins song. So I don't know. Did you get a chance to check this song out? I did actually check that song. I knew that song. So uh, I know some Bush. They're not my favorite uh, band, but uh, I do know some of their uh, hits. You know, you could have really got in trouble there if you said, I know some Bush and they're not my favorite. You would have never heard the end of that. I thought about that after I uh, said that. I was like, yeah, that didn't sound very good, did it? What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even drinking tonight. <laughs> By the way, no spoilers here, but Gavin Rossdale is the only live singer uh, that I'll be talking about today. Every other band I'm talking about today, the singer is dead. So it is what it is.
So my third pick was Damn That River by Alice in Chains, and it was uh, released on, in 92 on Dirt. It's interesting because the minute we came up with this idea, both of us, I think, went immediately to Damn That River. I sent you my songs, and you're like, oh, man, that was going to be on my list. Dirt, to me, by far Alice in Chains' best album. I mean, it has Them Bones, Down the Hole, Rooster, Angry Chair, Wood. It's actually an album I play on the norm because I absolutely love Jerry Contrell's playing. And when you hear something like Damn That River, I hear like Badlands. Like Ray Gillen could have killed this vocal. Jakey e. Lee could have easily been playing the riff. And then Contrell is a Kiss fan. So it's even got that Ace Fraley type solo in it to top it off. I love this song. I love this album. Alice in Chains is probably my second favorite grunge band. Uh, and technically they only have six albums. I mean, they've been together since 87. It's not like they have a ton of music out there, but Alice in Chains is definitely considered one of the more popular grunge bands, wouldn't you say? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And they're one of the ones that are still, you know, fairly successful today. Yeah. I can't get into the new singer though, Duvall. I, I don't, there's something missing. It's not as angry. Like Lane felt angry. Uh, well, I think Lane probably connected with some of the material much more emotionally, but I think there was some really good stuff on um, that song, Check Your Brain, I think is awesome. That was off. I think it's called The Black and Blue or something. So they've put out some material that I think is hit or miss and some stuff that's good. But, you know, I think you you realize just how Alice in Chains is pretty much Cantrell. I mean, for the most part, to me anyway.
last one I wanted to share before we throw it over to you for a few is Rusty Cage by Soundgarden off of Bad Motorfinger 91. Soundgarden, I mean, everybody knows them, Seattle band. The two singles on this album was Jesus Christ Posed and Outshined, which I absolutely love too. Rusty Cage is the opening track. That weird guitar tone, that was actually Chris Cornell's idea. And it is a very, again, Black Sabbath riff. You mentioned it before, but it keeps moving. And then that bass lick keeps up. And Shepard does a good job of playing off of Kim and really making it more of a moving Sabatune instead of the doomy that sometimes Soundgarden is. And I can totally hear Ozzy singing this song. And, you know, with lyrics like, you know, Phillips head into my brain is too dark to sleep again. I mean, this stuff is not exactly, I want to know what love is or something like that, but you know, it, it is what it is, but at least it's not that doomy draggy vocal and, and guitar tone that sometimes I get lost in. I really like Rusty Cage.
Have you heard the Johnny Cash version of that tune? I have not. There's a Johnny Cash version of Rusty Cage? I mean, it's completely reworked. You go out there and check it. It's on Spotify, I'm sure. You wired me awake and hit me with the hand of broken nails. You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. You know, Johnny Cash did a bunch of um, modern rock songs. Like he did that. He did um, Hurt by Nine Inch Nails and uh, I think a few other things. But uh, see what you think because it is definitely an interesting version of that song. I mean, I think you and I are alike when it comes to Soundgarden. We like a lot of the quote-unquote hits, you know, the more popular songs. You're a big fan of um, songs like, you know, Spoon Man and Outshine and things like that, as am I. So uh, it's all good. I probably like a few deeper tracks on the Soundgarden stuff than you, but... Didn't Pat Boone do something too? He did a bunch of 80s hair metal songs, though. Was that what it was? He did. I don't know if he did any grunge stuff, but uh, Pat Boone definitely did. Uh, no More Mr. Nice Guy was the name of his record. Holy diver, you've been down too long in the midnight sea. Oh, what's becoming of me? Ride the tiger, you can see his stripes, but you know he's clean. Oh, don't you know what I mean? Gotta get away. Holy diver. That was not good. <laughs> no. <laughs> the fact that he's standing on the cover in uh, leather and studs was not good. That was fucking freaking awful. How about you? Share some of yours. Yeah. All right. So your approach was similar in that you took some of the, I think, more popular type bands, except for Skin Yard. Like I said, nobody's ever heard of them or I've never heard of them. I took a little bit of a mixture of both. And I'll start off with this one. And my approach was different. Not so much I could hear 80s bands doing this, but I took the approach of I was picking stuff that was very guitar-driven, not as grungy or fuzzy as some of the stuff and not as rooted in punk. So just more straight-ahead, pocket-groove-type hard rock songs to me. And so one of the things that I'm going to start off with was Candlebox from their debut album. That debut album was so freaking huge. Quadruple platinum when it was all said and done. This was one of the first bands signed to Madonna's Maverick label, and definitely it was the first successful act that Maverick Records uh, had, which, I mean, they went on to have more success with people like Alanis Morissette and the Deftones and Prodigy and stuff like that. But Candlebox is kind of what opened the door for a lot of those bands. And this first record had so many hits on it, and truthfully, I'm not a huge fan of all the hits that were on this record, 
But one of the deeper tracks on this record that I absolutely love, every time it comes on, I either put it on a playlist or I don't change it. And that's a song called Arrow. just think it's a straight ahead rock tune there's nothing crazy about it it just i love that song i always have loved that song from the first time i heard this record where other stuff has just become a little bit old to me or overplayed i don't think candlebox ever really had any success after this first record either that or they set the bar so freaking high with that first record and going quadruple platinum that they just could never regain from that I had their second record, I think, which was called Lucy, and 
Uh, it really just didn't have a ton of great stuff on it and is definitely much more slower paced than uh, my taste demand. So after that, so you talked about them earlier. They're also one of my favorite quote unquote grunge bands, and that's Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains is awesome. And maybe the reason that you and I like Alice in Chains so much is that originally back in the late 80s, Alice in Chains were basically just a hard rock glam band from what I understand. I've listened to some of those earlier demos that are just, they're not great songs, but they're definitely like hard rock, what was going on at the time. Uh, You can find them out there on YouTube. Dirt, for you, is your favorite Alice in Chains record. And as much as I like that record, I'm not sure I like it better than the debut. And that's just me personally. The debut record has so many great tunes on it. Uh, As you mentioned, Man in the Box, We All Die Young, the kickoff track I absolutely love. But there's just something about Sea of Sorrow. And I really think that it's the bridge that goes into the course that I just love so much and the way it changes up. I like all the different settings in this song where it kind of goes from quiet and slow to heavy. And Sea of Sorrow is just an awesome tune. I can't get enough of that song. I love it.
from there, we go to what maybe is one of the original Seattle bands, which is Mother Love Bone. Uh, you heard a lot about this band because basically most of the members went on to make up Pearl Jam. And they had this singer, Andrew Young, who was probably one of the first guys, or at least one of the first guys that you heard about taking his life or doing too many drugs and killed himself. But essentially, they were poised to make a lot of noise at the time right before Andrew died. So when Andrew died, everything kind of went to hell for Mother Love Bone. And that's when the guys left and they ended up forming Pearl Jam, you know, the rest of the story. But that debut Mother Love Bone record had some really great stuff on it. And one of the songs that stands out for me is this song called Capricorn Sister. And Andrew Young, if you've ever seen him on any videos or if you've seen pictures of him, this guy basically had David Lee Roth sort of written all over him. I mean, he dressed like a rock star. He had long blonde hair. He looked cool as shit. To me, he didn't look like all the rest of the stuff that was going on in Seattle at the time. Free now. I talk about 
that Mother Love Bone record also has probably one of my most favorite ballads of all time. And of course, we know I don't like a lot of ballads, but that song, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns, that's a great ballad song. One of the things that I want to mention about Mother Love Bone before we move on from them, they have a song on their debut record, which came out in, I think they ended up releasing that in 92. About the same time as Warrant released Dog Eat Dog. And if you're familiar with Warrant, which I assume if you listen to our show, you're very familiar with Warrant. The album Dog Eat Dog has a song called Machine Gun, which kicks off the album. I want you to listen to Machine Gun, and I'm going to put it right next to this song off the Mother Love Bone record called Heart Shine. And you tell me what you think. Those intros, including the drums, extremely similar. Even the feedback at the beginning, it's one and the same to me. So I don't know which song was written first or where it came from, but uh, really, really, really similar there. I'm going to move on to one more before we take a break. This is, like I said, grunge didn't have to come from Seattle to be grunge. There's a band out of Chicago called Veruca Salt. They had a pretty reasonable hit on their first album called Seether. And I liked that song, but I didn't like a whole lot of the rest of the record. A couple years go by, they release Eight Arms to Hold You as kind of an octopus on the cover. And they release this song called Volcano Girls, which I think is awesome. I like the way the two girls sing together and harmonize. I like the riff in the song. It's just kind of straight up, again, straight up rock and roll. I would classify them as grunge, but with a pop sensibility. You listen to some of these songs on Eight Arms to Hold You, and there's some really great melodies, some really good hooks on this record. But uh, a lot of their first record and some of this second record was very rooted in alternative and punk, if you listen to some of it. Uh, but it definitely had straight up hard rock riffs that would fit nicely in the 80s for me.
So there you go. That's some of my picks there, Hollywood. Yeah, the Candlebox pick. I made my list too. That first album's awesome. Uh, the Sea of Sorrow. I love the song. It's just got to get sped up a little bit if it's going to be in the 80s. Capricorn Sister is basically a Motley Crue song. I, I had never heard that song till the other day. And I listened. I'm like, God, that, that's basically Motley Crue. And the Veruca Salt song, it's a good song. I like Volcano Girl better than I like that Shutterbug song. That's for sure. You know, let me ask you a question before I get to my last pick. There's all this conversation around when did kind of hair metal die off, right? Some people feel like it's probably 90, 91. Some people think maybe it's a little bit earlier. Some people think it's a little later. Grunge dies off pretty fast too. And it only popped in my head when you said Candlebox second album didn't really do that well. But by the time they released their second album, grunge is dying. And well, technically their second album wasn't really grunge anyway, but I don't know if grunge lasted past like 95, 96. I definitely believe that the grunge lifespan was much shorter than hard rock and metal. Uh, and now you're seeing a resurgence with a lot of hard rock and metal. And I'm guessing that at some point you'll see a resurgence in the grunge sound, so to speak. We won't go too deep into this conversation, but I've gone back and forth with our friends over there at Cobra's and Fire, mainly Baco, about whether or not grunge killed hair metal. And I'll say this, the music itself didn't necessarily like, what is your definition of killed uh, hair metal? The bottom line is record companies stop looking for hair metal bands, stop promoting hair metal bands and started signing grunge bands and promoting grunge bands, as did magazines, as did MTV, as did any of this stuff. So that's what sort of killed hair bands. So did grunge kill it? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, yes, it did. But hair metal killed itself, right? It gave people a reason to look for something new and exciting. It could be said that bands like Metallica killed hair metal or Guns N' Roses killed hair metal. If you want to look at it that way, that's kind of the way to look at it, in my opinion, anyhow. Yeah, I, I was a believer that grunge killed metal for a long time. I would say over the last two to three years, I am coming around the corner to say hair metal killed hair metal. Like, you know, sleazebees didn't do any <laughs> favors for hair metal. Uh, Rocks gang, that's for you there, righty, uh, <laughs> didn't do any favors for hair metal. So yeah, I'm not sure grunge killed it. Um, they didn't kill Michael Jackson or Prince or anybody else. I mean, some of these guys, it just gets diluted after a while. And uh, record companies rule the world. And I will tell you, I've gone back and listened to a bunch of either hair metal or thrash or whatever that I missed, didn't give a chance to, and have really liked. I've listened to some that's complete crap and go, thank God there was record companies because I didn't have to hear this crap when I was 22 years old, right? So there was a time and place. There's no doubt. Yeah, so my final pick, if you have followed us for a while, we did an episode a while back called 15 Songs You Can't Live Without. Um, I, I probably have 100 songs on that list, but we shared 15 of them. And we didn't end up sharing this one, but it is actually on my list, and that is Sex Type Thing by Stone Temple Pilots off a of core in 92. So even though my favorite Stone Temple Pilots songs 
comes off a of core, my actual favorite Stone Temple Pilots album is Purple. Stone Temple Pilots have been around since 89. They definitely have some 80s flair. This guitar riff on sex type thing absolutely rips. The guitar overdubs they do are totally 80s rock. The chorus has almost got a dance groove. This song could have been on Appetite because it is a sister song for It's So Easy. I mean, even the vocal at the end does the It's So Easy thing with, you know, here I come, here I come, then he goes up, just like uh, Axel does it with It's So Easy. One of my favorite songs of all time. I love Stone Temple Pilots, and I love Sex Type Thing.
Yeah, I think that was probably the first Stone Temple Pilots song I ever heard because that was the first one they released off that record. I liked it from the get-go. In fact, I had the opportunity to see Stone Temple Pilots on that core tour in a fairly small club, probably right before they released Plush, if I recall correctly. I love Core. Core is probably my overall favorite Stone Temple Pilots record. I think it's the one that's most straight ahead, even though there are several of their albums that have uh, great stuff on it. Purple being one of them, of course. That's why I loved Velvet Revolver. Scott had something in him where it didn't sound as, for lack of a better word, grungy as everything else did. It seemed like they had rock roots, right? And they were writing rock songs that just happened to be of the time. Now, the vocal melodies got a little slower as time went on and got a little more draggy to me. But then when Valver Revolver came, I'm like, oh, here we go. He's even with Slash. This works. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Yeah, so I'm going to share my last pick. I'll say this about the band Smashing Pumpkins. They are really, really hit or miss for me. Billy Corgan can write amazing melodies when he wants to. When you think about songs like Drown or 1979, there are some really good melodies in their music. At the same time, he's extremely moody. I don't like a lot of the really slower kind of stuff. But then he turns around and he'll write a song like Bullet with Butterfly Wings that's just straight up like ACDC riff, just heavy songs like Cherub Rock, stuff like that. But going back to their first record, Gish, there was some really, really good stuff in that. And the lead-off track, which is a song called I'm the One, just flat-out ballsy and... Interesting, you mentioned earlier where uh, you were talking about it could have been your sex type thing could have been sort of a blueprint or uh, a sister song to It's So Easy by Guns N' Roses. I also hear that with one of the lower uh, harmony vocals in this song by uh, Smashing Pumpkins, this I'm the One song.
Yeah, I've heard this riff somewhere before. I, I couldn't place it, but I I cannot handle Billy's voice. And I've seen Smashing Pumpkins live, and they didn't do it for me there either. There's something about this band I just do not like. Yeah, I totally get it. Like I said, very hit or miss. I did see them live and thought they were amazing the first time I saw them, but they had a complete show and a complete package to go with it, and I thought they were really good. But like I said, what brings it down for me is there's a lot of material that I just don't like, period, end of story. I take the stuff I do like. I have those songs in my library that I do like uh, and the other stuff I don't. So it's probably like for me, I like 30% of their stuff. (laughs) So, but the 30% I like, I really do like. Uh, That's kind of where I sit with them. All right. So you want to get into a few things, maybe that missed your list? Yeah. So we talked about a few already. Man on the Box, just missed my list. Spoon Man, Arrow was on my list. Don't You from the same album, Candlebox, was on my list. Burn a Hole, which is a song by Skinyard off that same album, Thousand Smiling Knuckles from 91. It's got that feel. And then off of Purple, Unglued, that could have totally been an 80s song. So like I said, I don't like a ton of grunge. I don't veer too far away. I've tried it. It doesn't hit well with me on the norm. But some of these songs, try them out because it definitely is either a bridge or came almost directly right out of late 80s. How about you? Yeah, so a few that just missed my list. So off that first STP record core that I talked about, I love Cracker Man. I think that song kicks ass. That riff kicks ass in Cracker Man. I like where it slows it down. The Temple of the Dogs record, Pushing Forward Back. I know everybody knows that song from Say Hello to Heaven, and but Pushing Forward Back is a straight-up rocker, and I dig that tune. Now, we talked about bands, whether or not they're grunge or not. Here's a band that, you know, never got a grunge label on them, but they were out at that time, and they were definitely considered an alternative rock band, the band Urge Overkill. And I love the song Sister Havana. That's just a straight-up rock song. I've always loved that tune. Like I said, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, there were several songs off of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness that I thought were good, several that were crap. Everybody talks about Pearl Jam's 10, but I actually like a lot of the stuff on their second album. Uh, And Animal, to me, is a straight-up rock song. Uh, The second song on the Versus record is killer to me. I like a lot of stuff on that second Pearl Jam record. And then last but not least, we talked about it earlier, Soundgarden. And I'm going back to the Louder Than Love Soundgarden record with Big Dumb Sex. One of my favorite Soundgarden tunes of all time. Such a killer song. That's some that just missed my list. Yeah, that Pearl Jam song, I I can't get into Eddie's voice at at all. And that Sister Havana song, man, that that might as well be Poison. Like that, that, (laughs) I don't know if those guys can be called, I don't know if they can be called grunge. They're way too peppy to be grunge. Well, that song is for sure. Like I said at the start, you have a lot more patience for some of this stuff. I'll I'll tell you, if there's any band out there that only 30% of their stuff hits me, I wouldn't listen enough of it to get to the 30%. Like I, I don't have that kind of patience. I I might have ADHD. I don't know, but uh, there's no way I'm going to listen through a bunch of shit to get three out of every 10 songs I like. That won't happen. 
Definitely, I approach things a little bit differently than you. You know, if I find stuff or sometimes what will happen is I'll hear something in passing and I'll be like, that's that band, really? And if it's something I like, I'll just go grab that song, you know? You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your Historic Moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the Historic Moment, Kiss influenced a ton of grunge. There are grunge guitar players that absolutely love Ace. I don't know if I've ever heard a grunge singer say they love Paul, but for whatever reason, Ace and Peter get a ton of love in the grunge movement. And whether it's 90s rock or alt rock or whatever you want to call it, Kisses influenced a lot of those guys, and it makes sense because they were in their 20s when they released all this stuff, and Kiss was probably their go-to band when they were a kid. So I wanted to pick something that had something a little different to it. So I know I'm not a huge Pearl Jam fan, but I also know that Matt Cameron sings. And there was a thing that I found on YouTube where Matt Cameron's on vocals. And Matt Cameron's one of those guys we talked about. He was in Skinyard. He was in Soundgarden. Then he was in Pearl Jam. Then he did Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. Same time. He absolutely loves Peter Chris. And here is Pearl Jam with Matt Cameron singing Black Diamond. It's a rare occurrence. But tonight on the vocals... We have Mr. Matt Cameron taking over on this one. And a little bit of Mike McCready. Out on the streets for a living, which is only begun.
Yeah, so I think Mike McCready, uh, one of the guitar players in Pearl Jam, is a big Kiss fan. Yeah, he's a huge Ace fan. And you just, you don't hear, at least I haven't heard, a bunch of grunge guys going, oh yeah, I love Gene, I love Paul, I love Vinny. Like, you just don't hear that. It's usually either Ace or Peter. Does anybody ever say they love Vinny? Uh, somebody does, because he had, <laughs> what, 11 people show up to his birthday or something like that? <laughs> oh god it was something like well bb would pay him 10 grand so what's the difference bb would pay bearded zach 10 grand he wouldn't pay vinnie vincent 10 grand i don't know about that bb let us know i think he'd pay 10 grand to vinnie too i don't know it might be interesting to see bearded zach show up with a viking hat and a mug of coffee oh good lord <laughs> <laughs> Might be entertaining. You never know. I bet Zach's a very entertaining dude, judging from his book. I loved his book. I read it and enjoyed it. I went to a uh, acoustic uh, book reading thing he did. He was touring with that book, and he was doing uh, stuff on piano, stuff on acoustic guitar, talking about chapters in the book. It was fun. He seems like a very entertaining dude, you know? All right, so yeah, this was pretty painless for grunge. Thanks for playing along. So be honest, how many bad reviews do you think we'll get of this episode? Who knows? Uh, no more than or less than any other bad reviews we get. We get them all the time. We'll probably get a bunch of people that are be like, this would have been a better episode if Sonny would have done it solo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because there'd have been no grunge. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I did not pick all of this. Watch, it's one of our best-reviewed shows because it was my idea. Look at that. How you like that? Uh, probably. Sonny's got all the fans. All right, well, it was fun. It was definitely different for us, and like you said, at some point we were bound to do it. It is a part of growing up rock around here, and that's just one small part of it. So like I said, hopefully we played at least some guitar-driven stuff that wasn't too damn depressing overall. Uh, before we go, I'd like to thank everybody on the Loud Minority Facebook group. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your feedback. We appreciate each and every one of you guys. Yeah, thanks for all the support, and we will catch you soon. See ya. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. <laughs>
it's about us. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.